welcome to Deuces Are Mild, where we review number twos for you. We'll be unpacking arguably unnecessary sequels so you don't have to. I'm your host, Allie, and with me is my co-host, Rob. Rob, how's it going? It's going. Yeah. Not too bad. I've, uh, I got to have probably my shortest day of work in about a week today, which is nice. And oh, yeah. I took advantage of it by uh, starting my replay of uh, Witcher 3. Nice. I've, uh, you know, I spent uh, last year during the pandemic getting caught up on all the games that I've missed. You know, I had never played Skyrim, so I, my previous system was PlayStation. So getting to play new video games, including Witcher 3, was great. And uh, yeah, I got to start a replay, so I'm excited about that. That's awesome. Hopefully I don't get the world's worst ending this time. Yeah. So we'll see. I don't know. What about you? What are you up to? As if you didn't know. I love this part of the podcast, by the way, where we pretend we don't know each other. But I, do I, I don't know, do you? I don't know. I mean, I am having a love affair right now. Yeah? Yeah. With who's, the treadmill that we just got. I was about to say, who's the lucky exercise equipment? <laughs> yeah. Um, I I walked on that thing for 45 minutes because that's as long as a Gilmore Girls episode. So... And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, so it's like an excuse to like stay on the treadmill and watch it and all that jazz. So makes it easier to count too when you have to list well how much distance did you walk, how much time did you spend walking, how many calories did you burn, what was your heart rate. You can just write, I did one Gilmore Girls today. <laughs> That's gotta be a good feeling. Hell yes. Another good feeling is the movie that we're discussing today because <sighs> well, it's, so, just a, it's kind of a special. It is a special one. We So we're, we're doing Birdemic 2, which is the sequel to Birdemic by our favorite auteur director, James Nguyen. That's a, that's a nice term to use for him. I guess it works. But Well, he's up there with like Breen and Wiseau for me. So. Yeah, yeah that's, that's fair. Yeah, so I mean, you know, we've usually been doing sequels, you know, questionable sequels to great movies. <laughs> um, I, I think the first Birdemic, Birdemic Shock and Terror, is a different kind of great movie, a great bad movie. And that's kind of one of our favorite things and one of the reasons why we ended up doing this. You know, usually it's bad movies that we kind of get a sense that it's it's still fun to watch Birdemic in the room and, and Manos in the hands of fate and a lot of stuff you would see in MST 3k and riff tracks, but you know, there's kind of a feel like there's, there's a little bit of fun and exploration we're doing here uh, with some of these other sequels. And, and this is a sequel to a bad movie. So I don't know. Uh, what about did this taint your ability to do predictions for this because of what we got in the first one? The first time I watched Birdemic, it was a complete shock and terror to yeah. borrow the subtitle to the film. It's uh, it's all like bad graphics of birds, and it's 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 pretty awful. I kind of figured that this one would be pretty awful, but at, we discussed before it was a little bit scary because when directors and writers and producers, usually all three find out that their movie, their passion project, was the butt of a joke, and that's why it's so popular. They try to recreate the same thing by doing it on purpose, and then it taints it. It's a danger of self-awareness. Yeah, like, Tommy Wiseau was very aware when he wrote, like, Best Friends, that, like, mm -hmm. The Room was popular because it was a joke. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, and, and I realize I'm rushing into the predictions. Maybe we should refresh everybody a little bit on the yeah. first one. So... Yeah, you had a 
I mean, I, I could describe this as any James Neon movie, but there's a software salesman in California, and um, he, he meets up with what he perceives to be an old classmate, perceives to creep on her, um, starts dating, and in the background the whole time there's always like environmental disasters and seals are dying and, and all this weird stuff going on and ominous news reports. Ominous news reports. <laughs> it's 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 basically like, you know, what if an inconvenient truth was a romantic thriller? That's what James Newman's trying to do with these these movies and there's suddenly these birds that start attacking everybody and you know, if you're wondering why don't you explain why, it's because I can't, because the movie doesn't. They meet up with random people who they try to save, random kids that they just end up on a road trip for, and they meet, like, a, a tree hugger in a forest who gives them a lecture on environmentalism, and then they meet a doctor on the bridge, and it all takes place in and around Half Moon Bay, and, and I'm not really jumping around. That's basically the movie there. Yeah. Um, no, it's like a series of vignettes, like, yeah. of a post-apocalyptic world due to birds yeah but i if you if you've seen it then then you know you know what we're talking about if you haven't i actually i would recommend watching the first one oh, it is for sure like if you go in knowing like look this isn't good but then you realize that nobody seemed aware of that and then it just makes it great so i, I and that's one of the things i think really Gave us a reason to finally watch this. I mean, it's been out since 2013, but we've we've held out and we've we finally watched this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we were. I know it was it was tough to do my predictions. Um, you know, and you kind of talked about the same thing. You're worried about how the self awareness of of, yeah. of over time, um, and even you know in the time between these movies, there's three mo three years between first Birdemic and the sequel. Here, in that time is when Birdemic started coming known as a hot mess mm -hmm. um well and we we've watched his other films too so it's like we know him as yeah. a writer director producer so like i think that kind of padded my predictions as Same. well so like for my predictions like one of them is he'll mention one or more of his movies in this movie <laughs> and we heard about replica and fit replicas in there yeah. yeah and wasn't there one more like, he made, like, or there was, like, a subtle reference to a movie, maybe. Um, um, I feel like we maybe got a quick shot of something from the first movie that was in the second, from the first mm. Birdemic. But I do remember the first Birdemic did have a, a quick shot of, from his movie, Julie and Jack. Yeah, um, yeah. I was it. thinking there might be something like that, like, on the TV or something yeah, somewhere. Yeah, But the second prediction was... There would be a very good Vietnamese restaurant that would be featured um, mm. in the movie, and there were several. There, there were a few. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, which is which is great because those are some of the best scenes in the movie. So uh, I, I was really pleased to see that that we worked in some good Vietnamese restaurants. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had a third. I was like, okay, these are pretty easy predictions. Mm -hmm. Like it's James Wen. Of course, he, these are going to be in there. So I was like, all right, let me go out on a limb. So I did. I said, one of the characters from the first movie will die. And mm. I'm half right. Because. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, apparently. I'll give you full point for this one. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. So apparently, we'll, we'll get to it. But apparently, there was a person from the first movie who died, but off screen. Off screen. And it was just mentioned, which we'll get to. Oh, was it mentioned? Yeah. 
What about you? So, so, so I guess you got what, uh, you definitely got that last one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got, we, I got and you mentioned three replicas. points. Did you got, what was your first prediction again? The... He'll mention one or more of his movies, and then a very good Vietnamese restaurant oh, yeah, will be featured. You, so I got you know all what? three. I'm going to give you two points, because there were two separate Vietnamese restaurants in this movie. You get two points for that one, so you get four. I got four points. That's the most I've ever gotten in the entire history of this podcast. <laughs> it's not fair that there are multiple Vietnamese restaurants, but I'll give it to you. <laughs> However, I will not, you know, let's see if I apply that logic to my predictions how I do. So, my first prediction is based on your self-awareness, is, you know, you, you talked about best friends, best fiends, you know, even you can even look at stuff like Samurai Cop 2. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, you know, maybe we'll do at some point here, um, you know, but we have both seen that before. But that was a movie that was aware that the first one was bad. And the second one, while interesting, it was self-aware enough that it wasn't as fun. And it's it's, it's the similar issue to my sh- the Sharknado movies. Mm-hmm. I can't even enjoy watching them. They're trying to purposely make a bad movie. Yeah. And I can't get I can't get my head around that. It's it's like you, no, you know what you're doing. So my first prediction was that this was going to be intentionally bad. It wasn't intentional. I don't think this was intentional. No. Nope. Um th- this was as intended. Yeah. Um and I don't think there's any any, any intentions behind this movie being a very close resemblance to the other one in terms of overall quality. Mm-hmm. So my second one was something that, again, knowing James Newland's movies, I thought there would be a duplicate scene from a Hitchcock film. James Newland's a huge Hitchcock fan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, replicas, you know, the first Birdemic was essentially his, his homage, if you want to call it that. Although I don't think using a French word is complimentary to Birdemic. It warrants it. But it was an homage to the birds. It even got Tippy Hedren in as, as, a, as a cameo on a TV. So, and, and Replicas is, is essentially Vertigo. So, I, I thought that we would get something like this, whether it's a scene or whatever. We didn't really get it. I There wasn't anything, like, he, he had some shots... He he got himself his little cameo at that one part. Um, he's, you see him in the that not counting the parts where he was caught in the mirror filming the movie. Oh, that doesn't yeah. count as the cameo that happened. No, are you talking about where he's credited as an auteur director walking out of a Vietnamese restaurant? Yes, yes, that one, that very self-referential one. How, yes. The hubris of this person, auteur director. You can't call yourself an auteur director. You know what? If you know Hitchcock, gonna Hitchcock, and Ewan's gonna Hitchcock too. So <laughs> it's it's fair. So. So I, but I don't feel like I got one. So I, I perhaps I, I, I'm, I'm zero for two there. But my third prediction was we're gonna get some coat hangers. There's gonna be a coat hanger in this because the first movie had a scene, and I think this is when they get out of that motel in the, yes. in the first movie, is they're fighting all these birds that are attacking them. I'm sorry, not birds, animated gifs of birds attacking them, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, Rod and Natalie mm-hmm. are swinging a bunch of coat hangers at them. So I was like, we got to get coat hangers in there. Oh, yeah. So it was just one of the most ridiculous parts. And It's the first weapon they grab. And, and you know what? And in the first scene in this movie, when the birds do start attacking in this one, uh, Natalie and the other, uh, the other, uh, um, the woman lead of the, the movie that they're filming Gloria. in the movie and, and in the movie, Gloria, they both got their double fisting coat hangers there. Um, I think there was only two or three total between them. Mm-hmm. So, 
Even if I give myself three points for that one, I still don't beat your four. Oh, you can't give yourself three points for, like, they're going to use coat hanger. I did pluralize it in my predictions. That's fair. I only get one point for that. All right, I'll give it to you. Yay! Yeah, you definitely win this one with the predictions. Finally! This is my first time I've won predictions. I don't think I've won before. Maybe you haven't. Oh, I don't think so. Good for you. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. And if I have, then it's been a very long time. jump in feet first man so one thing that i i thought about doing a prediction about Mm -hmm. um i didn't do a prediction about and i'm glad i didn't because i was wrong i i was like this is gonna have a lot of driving in it because that is a that's a james one staple is driving driving parking parking and pulling into and out of driveways yes which is separate from the street parking. But this time we got a lot, a lot of walking. Walking. Walking all over the... I mean, I think he did, did they the all f- get DUIs or something? I think, like between movies? I think he walked the full length of Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, yeah. Even though they just kept showing us the street corner sign of Hollywood and Vine. <laughs> you know, but he's passing by Grauman's Chinese Theater... And, and yes, our main character, well, sort of main character, Bill. Bill. Yes. Um, a movie director. He's that's that was a good ten minutes. Yeah. Of just walking. Just with walking. This opening music. Um, gorilla filmmaking. He, I love gorilla filmmaking. Especially James Ewan's gorilla filmmaking. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. There's a lot of walking. I was hoping that he would at least be walking to the beat of the music, Saturday Night Fever style. Nothing like that. Yeah, it was a lot of walking, and I mean, it was kind of fun to watch. We did get to see a bit of like the gift shop and some of the stars in the Hollywood Walk of Fame that we saw when we took our trip to California. Mm-hmm. So it was a fun little tour of what we had walked, um, but this was intended to be the opening of a movie that you're trying to get me excited for, <laughs> and you know, I did not care enough about this guy to watch him walk for 10, 15 minutes. So. Yeah. So this guy, Bill, he walks into a place... A bar. The happy ending. Yeah, the Hollywood happy ending. Um, and it looks like a complete dive. I'm pretty sure it's the same bar where in the first movie, it's where Rod and Natalie were dancing. Hang, where they're hanging, hanging out, out with, with the, the family, family having, having themselves a good time. Yeah. Party, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or party, too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm scared to sing it because I don't want to you know, get slapped with a lawsuit or anything from Mr. Damien. So. That's fair. And he, he does that, that song very well. Yes. Um, um, this is where we meet Gloria. Yeah, it's uh, Gloria apparently is the hostess, uh, which I did not get right off the bat. Because he walks in and she goes, hi. And then just like starts walking. And then and a he silent 15. Her. Yeah. And he checks out her ass like five or six times just on the way to the table. He was quite lecherous. He was. And so we find out that he's like a director and a, a movie director. Why he's eating in a place called Hollywood Happy Ending is beyond me. But, and she just. She's an aspiring actress. She is an aspiring actress. From indie films. Yeah. As we hear the phrase a million times. Yeah, indie films. And why indie films are better than big Hollywood blockbuster films. And, and this is where you start encountering a lot of what we could call maybe newanisms, where he'll choose a certain phrase. And in that given scene, that exact phrase, or even a movie, that exact phrase will get used over and over and over. Solar panels. Solar panels. (laughs) 
Um, and this one, eagles and vultures. Like, yeah. Like that pairing we heard so much throughout this. It was ridiculous. Actually, one of my favorite repetitive uh, phrases was giant jumbo jellyfish. Giant jumbo jellyfish. I, Which, that never came back. It didn't. And it was very confusing. I, I started taking a tally after the third time somebody said it. Mm-hmm. I got up to six. It was said six times in about a minute. Giant, <laughs> giant jumbo jellyfish. Yeah, and, and uh, oh gosh, yeah. So so we start getting a lot of the repetitive language in these scenes. Uh-huh. Um, that seems to be the only way that these get to be a longer than an hour. But but this is when we also get to remeet Bill's friend and Bill's friend's partner, Rod and Natalie, from the first movie. Yeah, I actually, this was the first time that I couldn't be more disappointed that the original characters were in the sequel. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Rod was his usual charismatic self, mm-hmm. um, you know, where multiple consonants do not deserve to be pronounced. Mm-hmm. And um, Mumblecore. Mumblecore. The, like, yeah, if, if there was a mumbling, if Post Malone was an actor, it would be Rod. <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, and then and Natalie, like, I was like, oh, cool. So we have a connection to the first movie. You know, Rod is still rich from his soul pals. And Natalie, I assume, you know, was still a Victoria's Secret model, as we very unenergetically learned about in the first one. But I, the first thing I noticed was her haircut. Okay, so that was, I was oh. not a fan of her haircut. Uh, I'm not cutting her down, y'all. I'm not. I just think it was just one of those things where it was just a bad haircut. And I feel like she knew. I feel like she knew. She looked like she did not enjoy making this movie. Yeah. Every scene she was in, it was like, it looked like she was trying to smile through tears almost. And I was like, man. And sometimes not trying to. Yeah. Like, I mean, so I don't know if you know from the first movie, she ended up being the makeup artist in the first movie because the first two quit in the first week. So she also didn't make up for the first movie. I don't know if she also did it for the second one here. But she had a bad relationship with James Newman, so the fact that she came back is interesting enough. Yeah, um, he probably had to pay her a lot, I'd imagine. That might have been why this budget was a bit higher than the first one. Ah, okay. <laughs> but, which I'll go into later. Oh, but, yeah. But so we, we find out that Rod is willing to invest in Bill's movie, mm-hmm. um, Sunset Dreams. As long as Natalie gets the part. As long as, well, as, as long as Natalie gets to audition for the lead. Yeah. Which is a little awkward because Bill had just promised an audition to lead to Gloria, our indie movie actress. Yes, who Bill is definitely <sighs> interested in. Yeah, yeah, because uh, he keeps looking her up and down like... A piece of meat. A piece of meat. Yeah. I, was, I was about to say a piece of buttered bread, but maybe that's just how I look at food. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's you a prefer good point. to look at buttered bread that way, not I, meat. I eat it every morning. That's yeah. probably why. <laughs> and and this is and this kind of also starts another James Newanism in terms of is very quick scenes where nothing special happens, but you get exposition. Mm-hmm. So he's watching TV in some random bar, and he hears about birds dying and and attacking people in Arkansas and and some town called BB, which they kept mentioning in the movie, and then that there's red rain. It's just yeah. okay. Then it started. Red Rain started in Half Moon Bay, which was the location of the first, the first film, movie, yeah. Which is just wild because it's mentioned later in front of Rod and Natalie, and they don't like let anybody know that that's where they're from. Yeah, they basically they basically like don't feel the need to mention that. Yeah, which is or very mention odd. 
any any sort of knowledge, pre-existing knowledge of killer birds at all. That's the weird thing, is sometimes this movie seemed like it was meant to start, like, almost right after the first movie ended. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, they keep talking about certain things that they happened, like, a while ago. Well, and also, I got the impression for a while there um, that the first movie didn't exist. Like, I, I was like... I, I sincerely thought, I was like, wait, is this a, like a redo because of like a better storyline or better graphics? Because they were better. Not good, but I mean, better. There the were more one. graphics. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 had, I had thoughts of that too until they, I think it was they, they mentioned their, their adopted son, Tony, who was one yes. of the kids that was left over. It's the best way to describe it from the first movie. Yeah. Uh, the adopted son, Tony, is just so funny. It's interesting when you meet him, and this is where, you know, we talked about the off-screen death. Yes. So... <laughs> so, okay, so Tony, like like we said, was a little boy that they they scooped up in the first film with his sister, Susan, I think mm-hmm. is her name, because their parents were dead, and so then Natalie and Rod grab them, and they just basically take care of them, and so Natalie and Rod and Bill and Gloria... And adopted son Tony are in the La Brea Tar Pit Museum. Yes. And they're all hanging out and stuff. And then Tony says something like, oh, I wish Susan was here, but she died from a disease from the fish that Rod cooked. Yes. Woo. And I'm not even stuttering. I'm not using my own grammar. That's exactly what the line was in the movie. So <laughs> that's how it was written. And he sounded, and Rod seemed broken up about it. It was just, oh god, it's such a weirdly delivered line, and just yeah. such a throwaway phase. I, I almost wonder if like James Newman couldn't get the, the actress back or something like probably. that, and just thought her that, parents were probably like, no, go yeah, away. And just you maybe crazy? that was his little jab back at her, like I'm going to kill you off with poison fish. Yeah, it's, yeah. I don't know, but no, it was, it was real dumb. But th- this is where things started going off the rails because you, you hear about they're, they're they're hanging out at the La Brea tar pits, which I mean I say hanging out, but you basically get like a five minute tour of the museum because there's no scene, there's nobody. There's nothing going on for a lot of this. You're just following them around at the museum, mm-hmm. and they're looking at birds. And that's the only way to describe it. They're looking at birds' skeletons. And Yeah, it, this movie, just to interject, was very uh, location-happy. Oh, yeah. Like, wherever he could film, he did. He must have gone around and asked, like, a bunch of people, a bunch of places, if yeah. he could film there. And then did. And used every single location. And every single second of it. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, but so so in the Librea Tarpets Museum here, they they meet the doctor hanging out. Doctor Jones, doll. Doctor Jones, yeah, Doctor Jones. Um, <laughs> still hanging out on a bridge, still talking over and over about birds and environmentalism and stuff like that. And it was so strange because it just it suddenly turned into a lecture about eagles and vultures, and you could tell that James Newen had, you know, gone to Wikipedia to look up eagles and vultures because he name-dropped, like, their Latin names and and their ancestors, and I think the phrase prehistoric birds came up three or four times until finally Natalie said back, prehistoric birds! Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was just... Oh, and Tony, adopted uh, son Tony... Adopted son Tony. ...was, like, 
asking Dr. Jones if there were any birds he could play with. Yeah. And he was like, no, they're too big. And he was like, what about some small birds? And he's like, I'll send you some lovebirds. Which was the Hitchcock wink, because in The Birds, Tipehedron is given a pair of lovebirds. Oh, see, you knew that better than I would. Yeah. I just thought that was creepy. That's all. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. Yes, middle-aged man giving a boy lovebirds. That sounds totally on the level. <laughs> Apparently, we're going to have another movie with a Lolita subplot. Oh, but, uh, oh no. Lolito. No. But, yeah, so, and, 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 and this is, and it's, it's very strange because while he's doing this lecture, they do a flashback to the La Brea Tar Pits, and it's, it's cave people having sex. Yes. They, it's, this is, this was so weird. Yeah. Cave people having sex and then they're attacked by birds and die. The male caveman is actually Rod's horny friend from the first yes. movie. Yes. So it kind of makes sense that he's having sex in this flashback. It was probably his idea. <laughs> it probably was. But I mean, also there were a lot of people from this movie from, who were in the, in this movie who were in the first. Most of them did not reprise the same role though. Yeah. Yeah. But this guy was a caveman of some sort in both movies. So, and also, Ugh. while Dr. Jones was, like, talking to them about all this, there were, like, cuts to them, like, listening intently. <laughs> well, or they were supposed to be listening intently, but they were trying so hard to look interested. And then they had, like, these weird smiles plastered on their yeah. faces. And I was just like, oh, God, these people need a break. <laughs> you know what, though? They got a break because that's when they went to Catalina Island. Catalina Island, baby. I was so pumped that they were going to attend the Catalina Wine Mixer. <laughs> I was I was waiting for Will Ferrell and, and uh, John C. Riley to do some oh, do a set. No. But no. No, instead they do the cool thing you do on Catalina Island, which is... You reminisce about, um, you know, movies like Rebel Without a Cause and think about how everybody died young and say, I hope I don't die young. And and to to wash away those fears, you go to a green club. And that is not the title of this club. That was a... We didn't get the name of the club. This was actually the sign outside of the club saying, we are a green club. And... It, they have environmentally friendly glow sticks. Yes, they did. Like goo bloob or whatever. It was something that should not have been named what it was. That's all the only I can describe it. But it was weird. The bar the bar looked like the bar from Desperado. It was very run down. It was very it was very like it looked like it was I mean it looked like it was an abandoned bar, but they bought new tables for it. <laughs> that was very odd looking, but and then um, Natalie's mom just Natalie's Yeah, Natalie's mom who we you meet in the first one and, and there's some great scenes where she she gave 100% in that one, and she gave 100% in this one. She was genuinely interested in her daughter. She wanted to know why she and Rod weren't married and why she didn't have grandchildren in it and she wanted a gin and tonic and she wanted to be in in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I love so like also when she sat down at the table. Yeah. The first thing she says is, holy shit. And I'm yeah. like, what? Why is mom cussing? There was no explanation for that either. <laughs> she just dropped the HS bomb. I think or... I think the scene was over. Like, she sat down, and then she, like, looked at everybody, and she was like, holy shit. And then, like, I think everybody laughed. Yeah. Especially because I think right before she sat down, she flubbed a line. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. There's a couple. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, but, she flubbed a couple of lines. Well, there are a few flubbed lines in this movie that they decided not to either retake or just decided to I keep, love it when that keep going. Happens. Keep going. Yeah. It's like, do you want to do, do a retake of that? I flubbed that line. Now, nah, fix it in post. Like, 
Yeah, and I mean, and, and this scene eventually devolved into... So in the first movie, there's a part where they're hanging out and they start dancing. Because James Newman loves having dancing in his movies. There's mm-hmm. even more in this one. Um, and But so we got ultimately dancing. got like a party dance scene. The first movie, two song called Hanging Out With My Family, which, I'm sorry, is a jam. It I, is. I, no, I lo- it's going to be stuck in my head it for is, weeks it, it is the funky Nassau of this movie. <laughs> It, seriously, I love that song. And I was so happy when, at the end of the credits of this movie, they played it again, even though it wasn't in the movie itself. I but, know. But we got another song from Damien Carter, who's yeah. the, the musician who performs it in the movie. It, I think it was something about being a bright star. It's, it's uh, Star Bright is oh, what it was. And I actually, I was like, ooh, this is the hanging out with my family of Birdemic 2. Yeah. Also, what I noticed is that they gave him the smallest freaking mic. Like, it was so tiny. It looked like chapstick. It, it did. It was chapstick he was singing I, into. I was like, give that man a proper microphone. Like, Get, get an amplifier for that Burt's Bees, yeah. <laughs> and he was just, like, kind of, like, on a barely raised stage with, like, no sound system. And, like, he was by, like, a... Like a circuit breaker box or something like that I, yeah i mean i i will admit though that i could not really pay too much attention to him in this scene uh, mm-hmm. even to the song because i was focused on natalie twerking that booty <laughs> i not to the music she 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 had the she had another rhythm going through her that she was following but the, this dance scene was was insane because yeah. you had about 20 people crammed into this the, the shot and everybody was dancing at a different pace, mm-hmm. doing different dances. Somebody in the one corner is doing like the kind of jig that you do when you want to make fun of people. At a hoedown. Uh, at a hoedown. Um, <laughs> there were like, uh, I'm going to just, I don't know how else to describe them. You had helicopter people yep. where you have the guys that just stand and have their fist out and they spin in little circles like in a mosh pit. I don't know what was that because this was like kind of like a romantic pop song. but this, And then the ones that I like to call the punchy stompers. Where like they do the high kicks and then the the, the pounding fists in in the middle of the oh, air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was like three or four punchy stompers in this scene too. Again, didn't fit the movie, but hard to focus on them when when Natalie was just in another she, world. Oh, she was she was bringing it, and like she was even like voguing, like framing her face. A she was, bit. yes. I was like, whoa, and she was just like. Shaking her head, going crazy. Like, you know, um, Anne-Margaret in Viva Las Vegas? Oh, my gosh, yes. She was totally channeling her. She was, but she was not making those faces Anne-Margaret made, no. But everybody on in the scene, I went both ways. I was like, wow, he had to get everybody super drunk. Look at all of them. And then I was like, whoa, no, wait a minute. Maybe they're completely sober and they need to be drunk. <laughs> that some of those like I, they were too sober or too drunk. There was no happy meeting. Well, and there's like the, the the one bearded guy. He was just doing the robot on one part, which is which is like that's this song doesn't even this this is like it was the in, the part where he was just singing and the instruments dropped. Sir, this is not a robot song. This he made it one. I, he, I I'll allow it. Um. <laughs> You know, so so we have this dance scene, and, and then and then this is where you start. We, we started picking up on the pattern here. I think of James Newen is making the first Birdemic movie. Mm-hmm. He is taking a lot of the same scenes, rebundling them in a different way, and, and we get we get another motel room scene, which is very duplicative of the first one, where you have a guy wearing the outfit of a guy who's not comfortable being nude or, or near nude on camera. Mm-hmm. In this case, it was jeans with the belt still firmly on, 
but no shirt. It made me think of Greg Sestero in the room. Oh, a little bit, yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, another love scene with the pants on. <laughs> except not, you know, except there wasn't like ghostly, you know, heavy breathing like there was in the room like on the on the stairs. But <laughs> and then and then you have you have the uh, the woman character is wearing. Not sexy, but not like super sexy underwear kind of I mean, kind of thing. It matched, which is it matched for true. a lot. That means that she knew she was having sex. Well, see, I think she did, and the reason I think that is because one, she asked the question, "Do you like what you see?" <laughs> and then, "Do you want to see more?" And and I love that because the moment she said, "Do you like what you see?" I realized that she was wearing a a children's fuzzy robe with ice cream cones on it. Yes. Um, <laughs> over her black first, underwear. That's yeah. The first thing I noticed, I was like, "Ooh, that's a weird juxtaposition of of lingerie." Yeah. So I'm not sure I liked what I saw. Yeah. What was the point of her wearing that robe? Like seriously, she could have done without it. And then like, they were in a motel room. I guarantee you, if they'd opened the closet of that door, there was a ho- there was a hotel robe in there. It wasn't that nice of a hotel. That's fair. It wasn't. That's fair. It wasn't a nice hotel motel. It was. It was the motel. It wasn't a hotel. That's for sure. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, that was just an awkward scene. Um, th- though I did get a kick out of the fact that when she did say, "Would you like to see more?" That was the moment when the um the the boom mic came into the shot. Yeah. And stayed there for about a good thirty seconds. Yeah. So I was like, "Oh, we do get to see more." Apparently, but and we got to see a camera guy in the mirror as well. Yep, so, we got to yeah. Yeah, that that scene. I think everybody was just distracted. I guess because you know, sex scene, whatever. But um, and then it starts raining blood. And then yeah, the red rain started. We and just random animal sounds. Yeah, of, of not just birds, but like elephants. Because they're, and... they're revisiting like the the um the museum, the La Brea Museum. Yeah, and it's just like. It's supposed to be, like, otherworldly, ghostly sort of, like, stuff from, like, uh, the mammoths and whatnot. Yeah, and, and this is this is where... So I had kind of, like, a weird moment when this happened because as soon as I heard the animal sounds and the red rain was falling mm-hmm. and they're doing this weird, like, you know, once-over review of the La Brea Tar Pits Museum... I realized, like, oh, shit, I forgot the title of this movie is The Resurrection. That's the subtitle of this movie. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So I knew that, and I forgot that. And so I was not prepared when suddenly resurrected eagles, sorry, resurrected prehistoric eagles (laughs) and prehistoric vultures flew out of the tar pits. And a few minutes later, the cave people that we saw in the earlier flashback also came back to life. I seriously, like, as soon as oh. I saw that, I was like, oh, no, Encino Man. Oh, that would have been so much better. Yeah, I wish it was Brendan Fraser oh, that my came gosh. to the top. Pauly Shore would be a great rod. He Could you be. imagine if they did as a disaster artist for Birdemic? But, Uddy, hey, let's go to a really good Vietnamese restaurant. Let's get some soul pounds. Let's get some foage. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God. Now I'm tempted. Somebody's got to do that. James Franco can't be too bored. He can figure this out. Yeah. And it was just, this started happening and you're like, okay, so we are officially accelerating into this hot mess. Everybody, all these things are getting resurrected. So they're starting to film the movie. uh, Gloria and and, uh, Natalie are doing a scene. They're on set. It was weird. I I noticed everybody in the scene is wearing green. 
everybody was wearing green. Really? Which is like a probably James Newman's environmental thing. It's just odd mm-hmm. because that's because this is the scene that starts the rest of the movie. So they're wearing these outfits for the rest of the movie. They're wearing green for this whole second half. But this is finally we got birds on set. Birds attacked. Yep. They, uh, they got into the studio somehow in a huge flock. <laughs> these animated gifts were just hovering and flapping at them. And, and then Natalie just screams, get a hanger! Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Yes, the, I like the security guards who yes, came in. They were selling those gunshots. They were just like blah 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 blah. It it, it <laughs> yes. It did help though that they were infinite bullet guns. That was super yes. helpful because <laughs> the endless rounds of ammo. Well, and then when, and then like parts later in the movie, especially when Rod when Rod had a gun, it became an automatic. It didn't matter what he was holding. Yeah, I bet that was a writer in his contract. He was like, whenever I'm holding a gun, I want the bullets sped up. Like that's that and roundhouse kicks. He was roundhouse kicking birds in this movie. Oh, I know. And, that was great. So there was bird vision as well. Yeah, a couple of things. So like the camera, it looked like it was like veiled or like cracked or something. Oh, yeah, you had some filter to be, or something. Yeah, yeah. it's supposed to be like bird vision. And Rod roundhouse kicked us in the face as birds in this movie, and I could not be happier. I want that as a gif. And just that, yeah, he did a roundhouse kick, he did a jump spin kick, or so it was ridiculous. But yeah. so, I mean, they eventually got away, and then this becomes like a weird, like multi location tour of yes. Universal Studios or, or backlot of some kind. Although, I will say, um, we did get a new bird weapon, not yes. just hangers, now we have umbrellas. There was umbrellas, yes. I was like, oh, it's the, it's the new hanger umbrella, and and, and you know, see. I would buy that. So, I mean, fans of, of Indiana Jones and the Lost Crusade remember Sean Connery using his oh, his Charlemagne yeah. to, uh, to, to to open and close it at the birds, send him into the uh, path of the oncoming plane that crash it. Rod was not doing that when he had the umbrella early on in this scene. <laughs> he was just literally pointing it at yeah. them. And I'm like, what are you, the penguin? Like, just at least spin the thing. Put them under <laughs> hypnosis. But he didn't even do that. But... It was, it was weird. So they end up on multiple movie sets. They end up on what looks to be like a slasher flick um, yes. where, where we got boobs. We, oh, got, we got lots of boobs. We got we six. Got great boobs. We got six great boobs. Yeah. Three pairs. Three pairs. Yes. To be fair. It yes. wasn't. Yes. It wasn't one per six, one and a half dozen of people. <laughs> they were paired together. And um, uh, I mean, you know, I, I do like the poking fun at... Like slasher flicks and that sort of thing. Yeah. That's what they were doing. It was like lockers, mm-hmm. and these girls were talking and taking their tops off and like talking about their date night or whatever. Yeah. And then a guy comes in with a knife and is like, "Ooh, I'm gonna kill you." Earlier in the movie, Bill and Rod are meeting with like studio executives. Oh right. And asking for money, and they're like, "Where are the boobs? Where's the sex scenes? Where's the blood?" And I was like, mm, "That's foreshadowing." I know we're gonna see all three of those in this movie. Yeah, and and I think that's one of the things that was odd about this movie is instead of it feeling like it was a Hitchcock film, mm-hmm. it was a very meta film about about filmmaking. Just James Newen was feeling his movie making this. Like, all the characters, like, like as they go around through these different backlots, they meet, like, a stuntman and a screenwriter and another actress who, like, all join up with them as they go through, like, the Amity backlot set and the the, the slasher flick and, and a, a of, Western set. There's a lot of winking at the camera. Yeah. Like, a yeah. lot of it. Like, even, like, 
there's a point where like they meet someone and he's like a screenwriter and he's oh. like like a stand-in for Nguyen almost and he's like he's like yeah maybe I should write a script about this whole bird thing that's happening which which was hilarious because like Rod's next line is like oh I would love to read your script and maybe I'd finance it and I'm like what what are you all talking about yeah like, no it was yeah God it was so dumb there was no script supervisor on this movie I bet <laughs> I didn't double check I'm gonna yeah. guess that though. Yeah, or James yeah. did it himself. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, they, they go through a, another back lot that looks like it was meant to be the town of Amity for from Jaws. Yes. Um, There's a, so... I couldn't picture any angles of shots from that that would have looked like that town, though. No. You know what it looked like, and I wonder if it was... So there's a ride at Universal Studios Hollywood. It's called the Studio Tour. Mm. And basically, you're on a tram... You're going along a trail, basically, and there's, like, all these different scenes, uh, sets and stuff. Like, uh, that's where I saw the Bates house. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And there's an Amityville, like, a a small version of it. And what's great about the ride is that when you're on the tram, you're pretty close to the water. There's, like, a bridge or something. And there's, like, a guy, like, a, a fake guy out in a boat in the water. And... Uh, like the the tour guide, it's kind of like it's kind of like the Jungle Cruise at Disney, but like in a tram mm-hmm. on the Universal lot. He like talks to the guy and waves to the guy, and the guy like waves, and then like something knocks the boat over, and then blood shoots out of the water, <laughs> and then a giant shark comes up at the tram out of the water. Oh gosh! Scared me to death because I saw Jaws when I was a kid, so yeah. I knew all about Jaws. So I think that might have been where it is, but I'm like, how did he get there? <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was very weird. Um, we learned that the the bird's blood is is possibly acid in this. Yeah, that was never really established. Figured out. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, it was interesting because I was like, okay, so they have, they have you know xenomorph blood apparently, and um, but I did think that the effects makeup was much better in this than the first movie. Yes, there was also some half-ass smearing of red paint on a neck to indicate a scratch but yeah that that blood was not good i did not like it well, i mean it was it was too beady it, 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 it was yeah i know it's true that no, is fair but i i mean it was better than the first movie and i say that to you as somebody who i know yes. knows a lot about effects makeup so yes. but they go through all these ones but i i was pleasantly surprised and it wasn't something i had thought about because you know always looking to see well who from the first movie is going to be in this one i was very excited to see our tree hugger me too, and I was so glad he had a friend. I, I, real, I realized that I liked him. I enjoyed him more from the first movie than I thought I did. I was so happy to see he had a partner. It was, a, it was. He still has the the terrible wig that looks like he stole it off the samurai cop guy. Yeah. Um. But the the story of how they met was weird. Yeah. Because it, it basically seemed like that that he left the forest because it was burning down, and it was it was just an odd scene where he was just like I was. You know, it was like fires were burning and, and there was smoke and I was sick. And he just stares at you for five seconds and he's like coughing. And then there's a flashback of him just coughing. And, and then it comes back to the present. It was very odd. But yeah. I love the story of he and his wife are apparently of a TV show called The No Emitting Family. Yeah, that was so weird. And that's, like, that's a terrible title. It is. It was such a bad one that when the wife said it, she said the no admitting family. <laughs> but, that's a mafia family. That's right the there. mafia, yeah. 
but uh, don't admit nothing. But this is and this is another part where James Newman kind of slips environmentalism in it, where they talk about how they have you know zero carbon footprint and they don't use toilet paper and um, they use only solar panels and they're off the grid. But then I started just internally cackling in my most capitalistic mm-hmm. voice when they're like, "But we love iPads because they kill so many trees to make books." Yeah, and I'm like, "Do you know much about iPads yeah. and how they're made? Are you from that? <laughs> whatever? I'll let it go, Emily." Or whatever your name is but oh my god and, yeah and but that was a nice little cutaway and it, again it was like a weird thing because then the movie sort of resets and we got red rain again and this is the the, the part oh where my god, if you thought so dumb. you thought if you thought the caveman resurrection was odd uh then they decided to do a cemetery shortcut yeah so they do a cemetery shortcut and there's red raining blood sort of thing and what we've already established in the film is that these birds have been resurrected and are coming back because of global warming, <sighs> because we're not taking care of the planet. And you know who else is pissed about it? Apparently, zombies. Because people start coming out of the ground. Yeah, it's just resurrection rain, and it's it, and it's agnostic of whether the were these people affected by global warming. <laughs> it doesn't matter. They're coming back from the dead. Yeah, so they had a zombie fight, and they lost one of their party, one or two of their people from there. I love this, because there's one part where, like, you know, anytime somebody dies in this movie, so they, they, they always do a quick pulse check, and then they're like, oh, they're dead, let's keep going. Like, mm-hmm. no mourning, no, like, let's take them with us, yeah. no man, nothing like that. But this was a great one, because they check her knee. Um, the, the stuntman, I think, who's still with them like grabs her knee for a moment and it's like yeah no pulse i think she's gone or something like that yeah. didn't know you could check the pulse from the knee but i suppose <laughs> that's a thing and then there's a close-up on her face <laughs> and she like her eyes are like wide open and then she kind of glances over at the camera <laughs> camera for a second and then goes back and it's like do you want to reshoot that or no. at least cut it down no 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 no. we got it we got it <laughs> we got it there Clearly, we're going towards a resolution in this movie, right? I'm, I'm not crazy about <laughs> That's that. too much to hope for. And <sighs> also, around this time, if not before, probably before, there were two thoughts running in my through my head. Yeah. One, I was like, hey, Rod and Natalie, are you going to own up to knowing about everything that's happening right now? Then, yeah. Or, and, and I was also thinking about, what about adopted son Tony? <laughs> They we, didn't even mention him. <laughs> I assume he's back at home with the 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 urn of ashes of of fish poisoned adopted daughter Susan. <laughs> but I, I don't know. But ultimately, all this exciting action ends when the RV runs out of gas. And but but here's where the movie I felt was very realistic because they their first thought was what I would think of is there's a hotel down the road maybe they have gas. And, th- and then we got the second longest pointless shot of the movie. A good 30 seconds of this Pasadena Inn. Mm-hmm. Just a video of it. Not moving, not panning, not zooming, not mm-hmm. having something going on in the background. No, they established the fuck out of it. So, and, and, I, and I'm not exaggerating. Ugh. They didn't find gas, but they found a soda machine and uh, got some sodas, cans. And Ooh. they... <laughs> Natalie is trying to open a soda can while holding a gun. Oh, with like, her finger with in, her finger on in the, the trigger. Yeah, on the trigger. Yeah, <laughs> opening her, her finger is wrapped around the trigger, prying open the little yes. can tab. 
and um, pointing it directly at other people. It's so funny to me. That's a good shot. I yeah. definitely want to practice that at home unsupervised. Also, I noticed that... So, like, Gloria, she doesn't have much else to do in this movie um, besides, like, run around and be scared and look pretty. And constantly be told that she is talented and is beautiful. Yes. And here's the thing, is that in every scene where they're running away from the birds or, like, trying to fight, she's smiling. She's laughing. She had the giggles. She did. And, like, it always looks like she's happily, like, frolicking with a bunch of murderous birds. Yeah. (laughs) Even in the scenes where it was clearly, like, the direction was, okay, we'll put in the birds later, but we need you to act like you're attacking birds in different directions around you. And, like, Rod, Rod and Natalie, you know, from the first movie, they're veterans. They yeah. know how to do this. Even, even honestly, Bill wasn't doing too bad. The screenwriter, some person, they were kind of into it. Gloria just did not have any sort of sense of what it's like to be attacked by imaginary birds. It was definitely disappointing. Yeah, yeah. If she was supposed to be the actress, I, I didn't buy mm-hmm. it. I don't know. Uh, so, one thing about Bill, um, it, I will say, to, to pick apart his acting a little bit... He ended every scene with, like, a freeze frame. Yeah. He would just stop acting and become a statue. Yes. And if you know anything about filmmaking, you do not stop acting until someone says cut. You don't do, like, a sitcom freeze frame at the end of your line. Well, I I mean, when when you mentioned that while we were watching this, I'll admit that I was a little confused because I started looking for it. And some of them I could not tell. Was he literally freezing in place and it was continuing to film? Or did James Newen freeze the shot for a second? It was really hard to tell because it... And it was so awkward. It's like even just like – and I say this as somebody who the most acting I ever did was I was in the chorus for Cinderella in second grade. Mm. Um, unless you count burlesque. But like it was so awkward to like – to see him just – as soon as he finished delivering his line and whatever his mark was, as soon as he hit it, he just froze. And it was so – it was so jarring. Mm-hmm. And because and, and, you're just like, wait, something about to happen? Nope, just next scene. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was... So... Ugh. Anyway. So, and let's just wrap up the ending here. So, mm. the, the, <laughs> the, the guy, the guy Will, who I feel like is supposed to be a stand-in for Nguyen... Yeah, he... he, he explained some sentiments about movie making and made some comments... In scenes that had no reason for it to be in there, it's clearly just James writing his own words into it. Yeah, well, and he was talking about writing Birdemic, basically. Yeah. Um, while they were in Amityville backlot. So, I thought it very weird that Will is killed by a bird. And then is floating face down in a pool, and everybody stares at him for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... Mr. Autor Director, what are you saying about yourself in this, then? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not going to talk about the movie ending, really, because it's not an ending. It's it's a two, three-minute long shot of the Hollywood sign and the animated gifts of bird asses. Yep. And it's pretty funny because there are actual birds in the background of that shot. Yes. That are, like, flying around the Hollywood sign. ready 
for some info. Yeah, there's there's some interesting little treasures in here that we didn't go over. Um, but uh, but yeah, there, I, I got a little bit for you. So cool. it's an, it's again, this is sort of a weird episode because it's based on a the first movie being bad, and there's really not anybody any at all known, you know, in either of these movies. James Newen is probably the most famous person, and that's a questionable use of that word, but. So, I mean, this is a sequel. This came out in 2013. Uh, the original Birdemic Shock and Terror came out in 2010, so they're three years apart. The first movie had a budget of less than $10,000, um, which, I mean, it showed. But I, the thing that really surprised me is that this one had a budget of $300,000. And I don't know where that went. I mean, maybe half of that was paying, uh, I think her name is um, Whitney Moore, the Natalie. 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 Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if a good chunk of that was to get her and Rod back, or at least her. Yeah. I don't know where the money went because he really he you reused some of the same, honestly, the animated gifts of birds in this one here. Those were not the same gifts. There were some of the, that were the same he used. Mm-mm. No, did, did no, he they get were totally different? Did he get a sixteen bit instead of eighteen bit? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that is an extra. Uh, that is extra. But <laughs> neither of these were really released in the way of a movie theater in terms of any. Like measurable quantity, they had probably had special showings in theaters, but nothing in terms of box office numbers. Most of the Birdemic became big when um, when Rift Tracks, you know, and other places started really kind of looking for fun bad movies after The Room became such a big thing in two thousand three. Yeah, The Room kind of kicked off the whole like bad movie love, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, so I mean, this one cost three hundred thousand. Um, James Newen. Had, or maybe still has, but had plans to make a third Birdemic movie called Sea Eagle. Um, Instead of it taking place in Half Moon Bay, as the first one did, or in Hollywood, as this one did, this would take place in Santa Cruz. Um, up where essentially if you saw the movie Lost Boys, you've seen, you've seen Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. Um, and us. Yeah, that's true. Yes. And yeah. us is in there. Um, that very creepy hands around the world scene at the end. Yeah. Um, in 2016, he did an Indiegogo to try to make money for this. And he put the goal as $500,000. He made $596. From six backers. Oh my God. It was almost sad. It's almost sad to just know that. Because this is 2016, his both yeah. of these were out. Yeah. Both of these were big. I don't know if he just didn't advertise them or what, but you know he's he's done a lot to to try to get his name out there where possible. You know we mentioned Rift Tracks before. Rift Tracks did has done uh, the first Birdemic movie in a couple versions. They did Julian Jack, which is which is kind of a I love Julian. Uh, Julian Jack. Jack is like a. Another romantic thriller. Was it? Is it time travel or is somebody dead? I forget. It, yeah, it's, it's like virtual romance. Sort and of. Yeah. One of them is dead. Yeah, it's it's very weird, but it's it's. So it's you know, like the San Junipero was, episode of Black Mirror. Basically. Oh, actually, that's a great. Yeah, yeah. and then um, Replica, which was never officially released until he gave Rift Tracks approval to riff it and release it. Mm. It's the only way you can actually watch the movie Replica. Really? Replica is interesting. It's basically an homage, just as Bird Demic is an homage to the bird. Replicas is a uh, homage to Vertigo. Oh yeah, almost like scene for scene. And that's that's why I, I was waiting for some famous Hitchcock scene to be redone in this one. I, re- I really did. I and honestly, you know what would have been the perfect spot with the slasher film? He could have duplicated the shower scene in Psycho or something. That would have yeah. been great. But yeah, maybe I've just got Psycho in my brain from doing Psycho too. But. This is odd. Again, you know, this movie was different than the others. Usually there's software salesmen involved. I think in every single one of his movies, Julian Jack, the first Birdemic, 
yep. replicas. The heroes are all software salesmen of some kind. Yeah. yeah. Which is, but the reason is because that's what James Newman was till he started filmmaking. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, a couple things about this movie. Um, there is a lot of dancing in this movie, not just the dance scene, but there's other parts where people are just kind of moving around. And apparently, this is James Newman's response to fans, according to him, saying that they really like romantic movies. And they liked his dance scenes. So he made a point of putting more dancing and having longer dance scenes in this movie for that reason. Um, adorable. It kind of is. It kind of is. But then when you see what they do in those dance scenes from from like the bro dancing that, that Rod and, and Bill do to... Oh my god, yeah. To, to, you, know, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like these guys could not high-five each other no. to save their lives in this movie. Yeah. Um, they kept... I mean, I think they hooked pinkies most of the time. That was the closest they got. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so there's a lot of dancing in the, this movie for that reason. But but yeah, I mean, so as we mentioned, we got they got Alan Bagg and um, and Whitney Moore, who played Rod and Natalie from the first movie, back in this. Most of the other actors and actresses from the first movie were back in this, um, reprising different roles, though. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting because, again, you don't see these actors in any of his other movies. He's kind of the most recurring one. But, um, but, but yeah, this, that's what really kind of went on with this movie. It was, uh, he was trying to redo the first one. Um, but I I feel like he kind of went away from some of the, the Hitchcockian stuff that made it really fun. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like he was James Newen trying to do a James Newen movie as opposed to James Newen trying to do a Hitchcock movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's some of that self-aware stuff that we were talking about before. You know, a good, a good bad movie is like someone trying their best and failing, I hate to say. Yeah, no, no, it it absolutely is. And then if they become self-aware and they're like, oh, I got to recreate that magic. There's no way to do it because they already know, you know. Eh, That's so dumb. So so let me ask you, uh, Ellie, was this... Would you say this was mild or wild? Was this a, this number two, a number one in your book? Oh, I do love a really bad movie, and this was really bad. I don't think it was as enjoyable as the first one, I will say. Mm-hmm. It was kind of cool to see like the different places in Hollywood, uh, because mm. you know, yeah. we've been there. It definitely wasn't necessary, because it was basically the same movie again. Um, I would have liked to have seen him do another standalone movie. Yeah. Another standalone movie would have been great. I don't know if I would recommend it, to be honest. It's like, because Birdemic was just so good. Like, so so bad and good. Yeah. Um, And this was just like, there was so much like winking at the camera and just like very meta stuff and just like very pompous and just self-aware. I'm just like... It doesn't have the same spark that Birdemic had. But I guess we'll see how Birdemic 3 goes, if it goes. If it goes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what about you? Is, uh, yeah, is this I mean, a good one for you? Or? I, 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 I'm kind of with you in that the the very peppering in of the meta stuff in this like kind of took away from a little bit of the fun. I mean, it, it, was, it was mild to me, too. And, and I mean, 
And I say that in that the first Birdemic is wild. It's not like mm-hmm. it isn't. It isn't The Godfather too. It's not. It's the first movie isn't a great movie, but it's such a fun bad movie. So that's yes. you know kind of what I'm really comparing it to. I mean, I agree. I don't think it was necessary. I would have preferred another a standalone. Um, I mean, it was enjoyable. Like I think if the my I, I say it's enjoyable and I recommend it, but I I only do that if you watch the first one and, and you you enjoyed it for it being a great bad movie then i would say at least check this out there like if you ignore a lot of the meta stuff it was worth it there's still some hilariously weird stuff maybe he breaks some of the rules that he established for himself in all his other movies and that's that's where i feel like it's not nearly as strong because I mean, kind of like we, we we talk about our our fan fandom of Neil Breen, all Neil Breen movies have a certain feel to them, and I think all of James Newen's movies have a certain feel to them, and this one kind of stands out as not having that. Yeah. No, I, I I feel you. I feel you there. Yeah. I mean, if people want to check this out, it's it's a uh, it's one of the free movies on Pluto TV that you can get through like Roku and all that good stuff. Um, I do believe you can rent it from uh, like Prime, Amazon Prime, and and uh, Vudu and some places like that. But if you have Pluto, you should be able to get it for free. Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Deuces Are Mild, as spelled. Um, you can also drop us a line in our Gmail. It's Deuces Are Mild at gmail.com. If you have a suggestion for a sequel. Or if you heard us say something wrong, go ahead and yell at us via email. That's fine. We'll yell back. Yeah, we'll yell back on the microphone or whatever. And Or if you notice something that we didn't say, also let us know. If you have a tasty tidbit of knowledge that Rob missed, let us know. We want to hear from you. So, thanks for listening to Deuces Are Mild. I'm Allie. And I'm Rob. And we'll see you for the next Deuce. This has been an Opus Knox Media production, produced by Ali Bachman and Rob Bachman, edited by Ali Bachman. Visit Opus Knox Media on Facebook for more upcoming projects. Mm-hmm.